Welcome to Season 3, Episode 7 of Beyond the Zero. I'm your host Ben. Joining me today is Peter Orner. Peter is a writer, and his new memoir, Still No Word From You, is out now through Catapult Books. Welcome to the show, Peter. Thank you, Ben. It's great to talk to you from such a far distance. Really nice. <laughs> You're in one of the beautiful places that I know about, uh, Vermont, Norwich in Vermont. Do you want to tell us about how life is there? <laughs> I, I live in a, in a, in a, in a, a town that um, is idyllic on the surface. It's a very beautiful. I mean, you can see it's, it snowed today. Um, and it's the first it's the first snow of the year it's uh, it's still november it's going to be a cold one i think um but it's uh i like it cuz you know behind the idyllicness is a lot of a lot of stuff a lot of stories a lot of fighting um we're having a town government in meltdown um so it's it's sort of an interesting people come here and a lot of um a lot of uh, refugee, like COVID refugees, you know, from New York mm-hmm. City. They're like, "Oh my God, this place is so beautiful." <laughs> I'm, I'm moving in, and then they like, really, you know, a couple months later, they're like, "Where the fuck am I?" <laughs> so it, it gets a, it, you know, it's, it's, but it's, you know, it's, it's. I can't complain. I'm in the Green Mountains of Vermont, and it's, it's gorgeous. But I, I like the undercurrent of sort of um, dissension, <laughs> so I, it keeps things interesting for me. Perfect. I think well, the smaller the place, the less people get along. Yeah. I reckon the, the smaller the place, the more politics. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. If I come there as a tourist to Vermont, what should I go and see? Well, I mean, you know, the mountains are obviously great and people come to look at the trees. And, you know, I, I my favorite place in Vermont is Lake Champlain um, because maybe it's because I'm from um, Chicago and my touchstone is Lake Michigan. Mm-hmm. Um, I really love Lake Champlain. It's a beautiful, um, you know, smaller lake than than Lake Michigan, but it it has like this sort of ocean like heft to it, and um, wonderful beaches. And I, I I like a I like a city beach. And uh, you know, if I can't go home to Chicago, I go to Burlington, and I go to Lake Champlain. <laughs> Sounds good. Okay, do you want to tell us briefly about what you're doing at the moment in Norwich? Uh, I am, uh, I direct the creative writing program at, uh, Dartmouth College, um, and, uh, I, I, so that takes a, a bit of time, um, I'm a English and creative writing professor, and I'm also a, a volunteer firefighter with the Norwich, um, fire department, so that's, that's what I do here, and, uh, the college is just across the river, um, the Connecticut River, in uh, New Hampshire. So I go to, I work in a different state, but in my hometown, I'm, I'm a firefighter and, and I'm chasing my kids around. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. In terms of Vermont, can you give us a bit of a literary history? Are there any famous writers from Vermont that we should know about? Yes. Um, there's a, a, novelist and short story writer who um was a big name in his time they made movies of his work um but he sort of faded a little bit and i was actually recently asked to do an introduction to a reissue so he's on my mind his name is howard frank mosher and he wrote um books about um what uh, uh they call the um a 
upper kingdom of Vermont and uh, beautiful, strange, really gossipy, you know, really kind of like the battles of the of small town life, um, drinking and fighting and, um, you know, and also very concerned with um, environment, environmental degradation, logging and stuff like that. So Mosher, Mosher is pretty great. Do you want to tell us about growing up in Chicago and then your academic background? Sure. Yeah. Um, I, I grew up in a, a little bit outside Chicago, um, like I mentioned, along Lake Michigan, which is really kind of my, I grew up like four, you know, like a quarter mile from the bluffs overlooking the lake. Wow. And, um, you know, it was sort of a, you know, an, not an untypical suburban town, but the lake really made things a little bit different. Um, the town is called Howland Park, Illinois, which unfortunately has been in the national, international news for the um, a shooting that happened in, on the 4th of July. So, you know, I, I, I like to make fun of my hometown, but, but not lately. It's, uh, it's been a rough, it's been a rough time, uh, for my fellow Highland Parkers. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, one thing that I said when I was asked about this, um, by the Chicago Tribune is that, you know, that how could anybody be shocked at this point that, you know, even, you know, kind of this um, fairly well-to-do suburb outside Chicago that that gun violence would happen there. I mean, of course it would. So, um, you know, it's a fairly typical town and like any typical town, all sorts of typical things happen. <laughs> so, but it is a beautiful part of the world. Um, ravines and lake, the, the lake. I spent much of my childhood playing in the ravines as I actually seen in this new book about um about that. Like just yeah. like this whole like underworld in the ravines and in my memory, in my imagination, I kind of lived there a lot. Yeah. Amazing. Okay. And then college, you did uh undergraduate, right? Yes. I uh I sort of limped into college. I, I snuck in through a back door um yeah. to, to the University of Michigan um in Ann Arbor and uh um I loved it. I didn't go to school very much. Um, I did write a novel set in Ann Arbor, so there's that. Um, I usually use, you know, wherever I live, it kind of turns up in the fiction in some way, usually. Um, and uh, Ann Arbor is also, you know, kind of a um, a wonderful place in its own in its own way. I'm kind of famous for football, but I didn't really pay much attention to that. I sort of wandered around and went to bars. Yeah, sounds good. <laughs> You've lived and worked all around the world. Do you want to give us a brief tour of some of the places you've been and some of the highlights of those places? Sure. I, uh, you know, I, I like a kind of a second home at this point to me is um, is the country of Namibia and Southern Africa. Um, I, I, in in college, I I I covered the uh, apartheid beat, which um, which was a big deal um, back then in the um, late eighties, early nineties, because um, uh, there was a, a divestment movement. Um, students were trying to get the universities to um, to, to de-invest from apartheid South Africa. And so I, it was like a full-time beat. I covered it. And we built, um, people built these shanties on the, in the middle of school, uh, in the middle of the, of the school <laughs> where people would spend the night. Anyway, I got very interested in uh, South Africa. Um, but when I graduated college, apartheid was still going on. And so I, you couldn't really go there, um, or at least not the way I wanted to go. And so I went to Namibia, which had become independent um, in 1990. And uh, it's this strange and wonderful um, 
desert country where the Namib Desert and the Kalahari Desert meet with each other. And that's very, um, not, not the most populated country in the world, one of the least populated actually, but I made wonderful friends there and, and taught history and English there for a couple of years and then returned uh, uh, about four years ago with my family and spent another two years there. So it's kind of a second home for me. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. one of the places I've probably never thought to even look into going. But... <laughs> you should. It's uh, it's, it's some, some of the most dramatic. I mean, you're from Australia, so you know. Like, but so uh, Namibia is, I mean, it's like a National Geographic photographer's paradise, right? And so, so there's that. It's got this incredible um, landscapes and, and and you know, in the highest sand dunes in the world, um, where you can like literally climb up like a sand mountain and then sort of run down, which is the most fun, fun feeling. So Namibia, it's awesome. Everyone should go. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's hard to explain why it's, it's, you could drive in Namibia for like 12 hours and not see a single soul. Mm. I mean, that's how big it is, you know? And so um, it's, uh, it's quite a place. And, uh, but the people there are wonderful and I have very close friends there. And I was, um, I taught at the University of Namibia um, uh, three or four years ago, and that was great. And uh, it's a place that um, it, it's very, it's a, it's a place where not much happens and yet it's like incredibly dramatic to me. So. Okay, unbelievable. All right, what are some of the other places you've lived? Um, I lived in uh, Chiapas in Mexico um, during the time of, uh, 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 the um, uh, Zapatista movement. I was yeah. a, a I was a human rights observer. Um, my job was to um, uh, live in a Zapatista zone, which had been Zapatistas like literally declared independence. They declared independent zones from the Mexican government, mm -hmm. and so my job as an independent observer was to sort of like protect people from them. I mean because my presence would, would kind of make it obvious if the uh, Mexican Mexican army like moved in on them. So it's kind of, it's kind of an interesting thing. Basically what I did was I, all day I would wait for the tanks to come by. And then on the door of my little hut, I would do a check mark for each tank. And I was there for a couple of weeks. Um, and I spent a lot more time in um, Chiapas also, not just in the, what they call the caracol. Um, but uh, a really, really fascinating place. Um, Mexico is a place I love a lot. Okay. Wow. And you lived in Prague as well, right? Yeah, I lived in Prague um, in the in the early '90s, um, which was a, also a, a great time. Um, I find that I work really well in other places, mm. I, even in places where I don't necessarily speak the language. And God knows, I tried to learn Czech, but um, it is hard. <laughs> <laughs> but I find that when I'm like in a cafe and I'm surrounded by people speaking a language that I don't speak, um, I find that uh, I find I can concentrate in in a way and sort of imagine what people are talking about. Um, and so I really like sort of not knowing what the hell's going on sometimes. <laughs> and so I spent a, I spent a, a year and a half in Prague, kind of not knowing what was going on, but yeah. um, writing my own stories and being able to concentrate. So um, that's okay. also a place. Of affection for yeah so yeah. speaking of that are you feeling settled in vermont or is there another adventure you're going to go on 
Um, you know, I, I for the moment I'm here. You know, um, I got two kids who love it, but um, I do travel a lot. I, I'm going to Scotland in a couple of weeks, um, and uh, where I've never been, or at least I, not since I was four. Yeah. Uh, so you know, I like to I like to keep moving. Again, it sort of just feeds my my work and my sort of you know I'm a little bit of a restless person. So um, even if I'm settled in a place, I I kind of like to move. Yeah. Um, I don't like to be a tourist or anything. I like to like live in places. I like to like mm. plop down and like have a cafe and like live in a place for a while. Um, I like the sound of that. That's what I like to do. Yeah. All right. Well, where are you going in Scotland? Because Scotland's great. I'm going to Edinburgh. Um, there's a, I'm, I'm going to a, um, yeah, to the city of Edinburgh, outside of Edinburgh. There's a, a writer's residency that um, I was lucky enough to be invited to and so I'm gonna go and check that out okay how long are you there for three weeks okay three and a half weeks. lucky you okay yeah very nice yeah, I mean, pretty, it's pretty nice I mean I, you know it's it's a it's a very generous um offer so I couldn't couldn't refuse yeah all right let's move on to your new book still no word from you notes in the margin it's a memoir told through books, reading and writers. You mix personal memoir with anecdotes about writers and books, and you've broken it up into different sections over the course of a day. You speak about Celine, Chiva, Chekhov, Babel, Primo Levy, James Salter, Marilyn Robinson, just to name a few. Can you give us an idea about the structure of the book and how you came to write it? You know, I I, I don't always know what I'm doing, <laughs> you know? I. I, mostly I don't know what I'm doing, but I, I, I sort of um, like almost by process of like attrition, I start to, I, a project starts to happen. Um, and the novels that I've written and the, the um, links stories that I've written have always come around because I had, I wasn't able to finish something. I wanted to sort of keep going with it. And I, I had this idea to, to write about um the the connection between memory and reading and i wanted to sort of just analyze that track that i you know when i'm reading something you know um why why does why do, why do i somehow get a little distracted mm -hmm. and start to remember something you know and and i always think like and i've said this before and I, I, but i don't know if i've, I've ever really articulated it right but like I, i'm interested in those stories that we tell that we may not have told, but for someone else's words spurring that on. Mm. You know what I mean? And so yeah. that's sort of, that was kind of the impetus for this. I, I would be, I, I was sort of just took notes on that, on that idea um, of, of, of the things that, you know, um, made me remember something because of what someone else said. Yeah. And the book kind of built on that. Okay. Interesting. And so with this book, I feel like that's kind of what you've done. You've kind of lived, you know, some time and everything is kind of seeding each other. Like you're seeding these little memories out of what you're reading or, or these memories of what you've read or stories you've heard are being seeded by what you're thinking, which I think yeah. is a really interesting way to do it. Yeah. I just wanted to, I mean, it's like sort of like, it's so universal. Right. But I just kind of wanted to directly talk about it a little mm. more yeah and, uh, you know I, i'm somebody who like i can't like i can't be five seconds in the in the line at the bank without reading a sentence and yeah. if i don't have a book with me 
I'll read, you know, I'll read the bank state. I'll read the, the deposit slip. <laughs> you know, I, I just like, I'm addicted. I'm addicted. Yeah. You know, I'm addicted to sentences. It's, it's, a, it's, I mean, I guess there's worse things, Yeah. but it, sometimes I wish I could just like look out the window without looking for some words, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's, or look at trees, you know, I, I mean, I'm in the woods with a book. It's kind of pathetic, but. <laughs> but, but. And this was a, I did read somewhere. I, you wrote this over COVID. Is that correct? Yeah. Um, I think I started it before, but it, it definitely, um, you know, those days of being locked down mm. kind of, gave me this a little more hyper focus on what I was reading it was sort of like you know it became the thing I did every morning before I started working on something else I would um I would uh uh kind of try and write like a I, I was like trying to like I want to write three-fourths of a page about something about something I'm reading and see what happens and it's just kind of like work from that I wasn't it wasn't I wasn't trying to do a big thing I was just trying to take some notes and I was like, oh, I got a stack of pages. Maybe, maybe this is something. And then it started to, I started to realize that it actually tracked, um, uh, you know, kind of just linearly in my life from mm. a kid to now. Yeah. And with the sections you've got, you've broken it up into, I think it's uh, like basically morning and afternoon or midday and, you know, and, and yeah. night. And I suppose yeah. that does track because like towards the end of the book, you realize that, you know, there, there's a bit of death happening towards that yes. end of the night section yes. um yeah, the twilight of our lives right i mean it's just yeah. like you know i think i mean you know it's I'm certainly not the first person to use a day as a metaphor but um mm. i'm just fascinated by how much happens in one day yeah you know like if you if you think about if you put in what you're thinking about not just what you're doing but what you're doing and what you're thinking about that's a universe yeah Right. Mm. And, and I, I, I'm interested in the writers that have worked with that idea. Um, an obvious one is, is Joyce and Ulysses, yeah. um, which was one day mm. um, and less, less well-known is a, um, a book called Midwinter, Midwinter Day by Bernadette Mayer, who's an American poet who's also a big inspiration for this book. One of the things I loved about this book as well, like being someone who loves a literary anecdote, was the fact that you seem to collect these stories and there's so many of them here. And, you know, there's stories about Virginia Woolf and there's stories about, um, you know, Premier Levy towards the end as well. And all these writers, this story about Chekhov, um, his untimely death and things like that. But the anecdotes are just like totally fascinating for me. But I wanted to ask if you have kind of a favourite literary anecdote you could tell us. You know, I think the Primo Levi one that I deal with in this, in the, towards the end of the book, um, I mean, it's, it's, it's so devastating. It's hard to call it a favorite, but it's a, mm. it's something I'm obsessed with. Yeah. Um, I tried to deal with it and that's, um, this is going to bring us down. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should, I should have a more fun anecdote, <laughs> but, but, but I am, you know, this, the, when Primo Levi was, um, after he was arrested and deported from Italy and he found himself at Auschwitz, he was in, you know, what almost like this, you know, mythological, but very true thing. He was in a line and then the Nazis, the SS were deciding who was going to live and who wasn't, mm. you know, who, who had some more work left in them and who didn't and who was going to go to the, literally to the, to the gas chambers. I mean, that's how it, 
played out for so many, many people. Primo Levi asks himself, or he, he considers while he is waiting to be evaluated, this incredibly repulsive, sick thing, uh, whether or not he's going to pray to God. Mm-hmm. And he says, in, in an essay he published late, late in his life, in his last book, he says that he wrestled with that for however many, you know, what, 45 seconds, right? How long? I mean, you know, the lines are moving fairly quickly. Um, and he decides not to pray to God because he doesn't believe in God. And it would be an offense, really, to, to pray to somebody he didn't believe in, mm. you know, if they did exist. If they don't, it's just the whole thing. He felt it felt disingenuous. And he sort of pledged to himself that um, if he did, if he did, uh, uh, survive that he'd remember that and i i think that um you know primo levy isn't somebody who would i think make stuff up right mm. it strikes me as being somebody who if that if that happened he was going to tell it later right he didn't it, it, it but it, but but part of me did wonder a little bit if it was a little bit too perfect an anecdote yeah. right so um but it, it's something I thought a lot about because I would have been in that, you know, as a Jewish person, I certainly would born in a different time. I could have been in that line. What yeah. would I have done? Mm. It's like the idea of like foxhole Jesus. You yeah. know what I mean? Mm. Um, where you, where you, you know, you suddenly are praying to Jesus so you don't die in the foxhole. That's the idea. Primo Levi decided he wasn't going to do that. Mm-hmm. I think that's fascinating. Yeah. I was going to ask you about the personal memoir aspect of this book, which is also really fascinating because you track, as you said, you track your life over quite a period. And I know that some of these things you talk about, you also talked about in your previous memoir. Do you want to give us an idea about the personal memoir and what you find fascinating about it? I, uh, it's funny. I, I never set out to do this. <laughs> I never wanted to do this. Um, I said after my last one, the first one, that I would never do it again. Um, but I, I think, I think what it's really about for me is about where you come from, you know. And so it's as much about more about my family than it is necessarily about me. Although I play a role, um, I, I feel like you know, I feel like where we come from is 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 something that's worth exploring and. Um, you know, I, I think there's a fine line, though, between too much talking about yourself and um, not enough looking around, right? And so um, I guess in this case, I tried to do a memoir through other people in my life, my parents. My mother plays a big role in this book, um, as what my kids <laughs> would drive me crazy at the moment, um, and and you know, my grandparents. Um you know, those people I wanted to honor, right? My father, to, to a lesser extent, um, my brother. Uh, it, it's about them. And I wanted to I wanted to tell stories about them. And uh, through the books I've read, it somehow it, it brought me closer to them in a weird way. Yeah. Because no, I, really I remember them. stories about my brother by reading about, a, you know, a story about siblings. Mm. yeah no I really like the way you've done it I think um this kind of memoir it's not navel gazing it's not um it's not some of these memoirs I I find that they are almost destructive um to families 
but I feel like this is just kind of a celebration of, of, of reading and, and life really. Yeah. You know, I, you said, I used to take a very hard line. Um, and it's, it's cost me, I, it's cost me family relationships. I, I used to feel like I could say anything mm. and it was my right. This was my job. Um, my first book, you know, I said a lot of stuff as I've been doing this for a while. It's, this is the seventh one. I, yeah, exactly. I wanted to sort of honor people without, you know, and, and tell, and tell as much truth as I could, you know, my dad cut me out of his will, you know, mm. like, um, and we weren't even estranged, you know, I, it was a little bit shocking, um, but he had reason. Uh, so, you know, it, it uh, I, I, I think I, I am conscious of the idea of navel gazing as a fiction writer. It's sort of, it's it's like my mantra is is think about other people, imagine other people, and so it, it's a little bit uncomfortable that I'm in this position where it's like I am literally telling, you know, my own family stories and my own stories too. Yeah. Okay. One of the selling points for me is having Eduardo Halfon's blurb on the back. And oh. I want to ask, do you have some memoir or nonfiction writers that influenced your writing? Uh, Alphonse, one of them, oh, absolutely gorgeous, gorgeous, yeah. um, gorgeous work, uh, you know, and I was incredibly honored um, that he weighed in. Um, actually, a book I'm reading as I speak, it's on the table, um, is called uh, Anatomy of Moment, Anatomy of Moment by Javier Cercas. Yeah, I um, love so that. Cercas uh, has been incredibly important to me um, mm. over the years, and uh um, again, somebody who sort of like, you know, melds fiction and nonfiction in ways that um, make a lot of sense. Like he's not playing games. He's he's just being honest. Yeah. You know, we, the, they feed each other. You know, nonfiction feeds fiction and fiction feeds nonfiction. And, and um, there's few, fewer, few people that do it as quite as, as well as him. Another person I'm, I would mention who's in the book um, couple times is Maeve Brennan, the great Irish um, story writer who wrote the talk of the town pieces for the New Yorker in the sixties. They were, those are nonfiction, but she was a fiction writer. And I just love how her eye, her fiction writer's eye, as she is writing nonfiction about New York city. It's just phenomenal. So, mm. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, are you working on anything you want to tell us about at the moment? <laughs> I'm one of those superstitious people. <laughs> but, you know, I'm working on a fiction and I'm working on, I'm actually working on a, a, a what I'm calling a speculative biography of a figure, um, a revolutionary leader in, of Namibia. I'm actually doing it. My first book was set in Namibia. Um, my first novel was set in Namibia. Um, and I'm returning to that um, territory. So I'm spending a lot of time you know, immersed in historical research. Um, okay. That sounds pretty brilliant. Cool. hope so. I mean, it's a, you know, I, I call it a speculative biography because it's somebody we, we don't know that much about. And so I'm sort of having to um, imagine a lot. But, but I'm trying, trying very hard not to lean into fiction. I'm trying to keep it with what, the limited facts that we do in fact know. Okay. Sounds really good. Okay. Looking forward to it. Thank you. <laughs> All right. Are you ready to move on to some of your gateway books? Because I feel like your writing in general, especially in this book, uh, is pretty much all about gateway books because that's 
there are a lot of them scattered through this book. Such a great, such a great concept, you know, and, and one I certainly think a lot about. Um, I, you know, to the lighthouse. Right? Yeah. Is that? I mean, mm. you know, to think back to what that book opened up for me, you know, in terms of possibility, sound of the fury, you know. Um, I think of the opening to to Ralph Ellison's Invisible Man, um, that italicized sort of intense first person, incredibly intimate, like suddenly this voice talking to you from that well lit well lit room, you know, um, you know those are canonical, but um, those are those are three that come to mind, um, you know. I, I teach I teach uh, Ulysses, so I spent a lot of time in that book. Mm. Um, try and teach it not from on high, not as a scholar, but as a writer. Um, and I just say, you know, look, it's it's not that you need to get every reference. It's like you need to just, you know. Immerse yourself. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Immerse yourself. And 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 you're there, right? I mean, the first scene when when Bloom is feeding his cat, you don't need, you don't need to, you don't need to. Can I swear, Phoebe? Yeah. You're a fucking professor to, to explain that scene to you. <laughs> you know, you're immersed. And that is, this is another subject, but the way that um, literature is ruined for so many people because you have these assholes coming at you as if they know everything. Mm -hmm. And Joyce is the, just the perfect candidate for that. And so as a gateway book, I would say read Joyce without anybody in your ear, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. 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 I think it's that's a really good point. I feel like that some of those books have just been over academic ap academicized and yeah. yeah. To a point of like just what? You know what mm. I mean? Like yeah. anyway. And I'm you know yeah. I, mean, I read a I read a story by Patrick White years ago that I just because you're in Australia, so I mm. feel like I almost obligatorily mentioned Patrick White, but what a writer though. I mean, yeah. I know he's controversial and maybe, maybe passe at this point in, in mm -hmm. Australia, but damn, that guy, that's pretty good. Yeah. No, he is, he is an extraordinary writer. And um, I feel like he has been a little bit almost canceled. I'm not sure why. I think he's just a yeah. out of favor. I, mean, I, I could see, I could see why, you know, mm -hmm. I mean, he's not going anywhere, but I mean, you know, yeah. Yeah. yeah strangely like he when i was in sydney he his house where he lived near centennial park was not far from my house i went past a few times but it's funny because he's not even been like in australia normally if you're not accepted by the kind of literary kind of elite um yeah. i think he is in a way like at least you'd get picked up by the gay crowd but i don't think they're even into him anymore so never mind poor old patrick yeah, he just didn't quite fit in which is again why he's so great right mm. and i mean it makes sense that he wouldn't be a hero to anybody necessarily you know yeah. I mean, it's pretty harsh harsh mm. harsh kid. catherine mansfield not australian i know yeah. but also was a, also i mean gateway gateway yeah. story writer right. damn right yeah. yeah yeah cool all right i'm gonna ask you what books you're currently reading or have you recently enjoyed or you're looking forward to I'm reading this uh, Serkas book. Um, mm. I've been reading it for months and months. It's not, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like the Soldiers of Salamis is one of my favorite novels. Yeah, it's a great um, book. Serkis. Oh my God, I love it. This is, mm. this is, uh, 
this is real inside baseball of Spanish politics. And if you don't, if you don't really know about Spanish politics, it can, it can feel like immersive in a way that maybe you do need a little help, mm. but I love it anyway. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm reading, um, Lydia Davis's translation of Madame Bovary right now. And, um, just having so much fun sentence by sentence. Mm. Um, so those are a couple. Yeah. Brilliant. Okay. Reading, uh, yeah. Stories. Um, Isaac Bacchini's singer, singer stories. Mm -hmm. So good. I mean, obviously, but to think of how many he wrote, mm. like, he just, like they must be coming out of his ears. <laughs> You know, like, oh, I got a half an hour. I'll write, I'll write, a, I'll write another story that's going to last forever. Yeah. yeah totally remarkable. Mm. He has a, I read a story called The Seance last night. Where a guy goes to a, a what do you call the person who does the seance? Yeah. The, the medium. The medium. Yeah. He knows she's completely fake, but he goes to her anyway because mm -hmm. it gets him closer to his dead wife. Anyway, it's really great. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he he is pretty extraordinary. The amount of stuff he put out. Um, yeah, and and not a you know, there's not a dud really. Mm. You know, um, it's it, and almost like it was like too much. I mean, it's too much. Like you kind of think like, oh, this novel can't be good, but then everything's good. It's weird. Mm. Like William Trevor, everything is good. Yeah, Mavis Gallant, everything. Mm -hmm. Everything. Yeah. The any books you're looking forward to coming up? The end of this year or next year in terms of reading yeah uh, yeah obviously <laughs> <laughs> i uh i've never read anna karenina so i'm gonna read it damn i'm a Chekhov person not a tolstoy person but i feel like it's time right shouldn't i read anna karenina before i die so i, I think it's that. pretty good to that. yeah i think it's pretty i good. heard i heard it's pretty good yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, four stars right <laughs> We'll take a quick break here on Beyond the Zero. We're speaking with Peter Orner. This episode is brought to you by our Lord and Savior, Elon Musk. He's making Twitter a utopia for you and your family. Please support him on his mission. You can get 10% off your blue tick by using promo code AUTISTICJESUS at checkout. We're back on Beyond the Zero, it's time for Peter's Desert Island Books. I'd take Ed O'Brien, for sure. Mm -hmm. um, I'd take a lot of the people I already mentioned. I, I would take uh, the poet James Wright. I'd take, I'd take Faulkner, I'd probably take um, Absalom, Absalom, or... Uh, I take Eudora Welty. I would take Isaac Babel. I would take um, John McGurn, Irish writer, Trevor, uh, Mavis Gallant. I mentioned writer people don't know, but I always try and talk about um, Wright Morris, great Nebraskan Californian writer, really yeah. extraordinary writer. Chekhov. I take the I, I love Invisible Man, but I would take uh, Ralph Ellison's essays okay. with me. Yeah. Giovanni's Room, tight novel. Giovanni's Room, love that book. Very cool. All right. I should wrap it up and let you get back to your kids. 
sorry, sorry, but I, I had them all set, but then they just rebelled and they don't care. They just don't care. They don't care that I'm here working. They just don't care. <laughs> they're kids that's what they do yeah. yeah cool all right well before i let you go do you want to tell us where we can go and buy your brilliant memoir still no word from you and also if we can catch up with you online sure yeah i i'm i'm I, my my twitter handle is like social media incompetent but uh i do it's peter underscore orner i think yeah. um sometimes i'm on there i'm on facebook which i know is kind of out <laughs> But then people like Instagram, but don't they know that Instagram is owned, owned by, by Facebook? Facebook? <laughs> so it's, it's like Instagram's like so much cooler, but like <laughs> is it more politically right? Same All shit. That. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Um, so uh and then I have a website, it's peterorner.com. Brilliant. Um, so yeah, I'm easy to easy to find and, and actually love to connect with people. So okay. And where can we get the book? Uh, you can get the book uh, from a, a corporate retailer near you in the bookstore. <laughs> um, uh, if, in Australia, you probably have to order it from um, the American publisher, but um, I, I believe the Australian rights are covered under that, so it should be available. Um, uh, I like bookshop.org. It's really they're really good um, as an alternative to the Behemoth. Behemoth. How do you say that word? Behemoth. Yeah. yeah, yes. Um, but, you know, I'm, you know, I'm always, I think we got to support our local stores, right? We, I feel like um, we talk a big game, but people uh, just don't support the stores enough and they're going to not be with us if we don't. So, yeah. Good ad, support your local bookshop. Yeah. Yes. If it's yes. good, if it's shit, don't bother. Yeah. So, see, they got to, you know, they can't just, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I'll let you go. Thank you so it's much. It's a lot of fun, man. I really, I, I really, I love this show and it's just a great, you just have a great way of doing this. So I really, I really appreciate it. I hope we cross, cross paths again. You know, Brilliant. Of, when I'm Brilliant. in Melbourne, I'm looking you up. Done. I'm coming to see Melbourne. Please do. <laughs> right. And then go to Sydney when you realize it's a bit shit. I will. I will. I want to see that fancy uh, museum, you know. Once again, to Peter Orner. Check out the show notes for all the details. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, at Beyond Zero Pod, and you can email us at beyondzeropod at gmail.com. You can support this podcast by heading over to patreon.com and searching for Beyond the Zero. We'll be back with the next episode very soon. Bye.